Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today I'm going to talk about myself. Uh, it's not a super important topic. You are absolutely welcome and maybe even encouraged to skip this one. Uh, but the fact of the matter is it is Christmas time as I record this and the work schedule has been pretty heavy. So I don't have any more episodes in the can and I need to put something out. So I'm going to talk about how I got here. Back in an old job I had, I used to teach with a guy who would spend the first 45 minutes of what should have been a pretty intensive long class essentially just sucking himself off, talking about how great he was and, oh, my kids did this and I got this honor and so on. And we had important teaching to get to. And I hated it. It drove me crazy every time I taught with the guy. And uh, so I try not to do that on my podcast. You'll notice that most of the time I just get right into the topic because who cares like how long I've been at the post office or what I did before or whatever. None of that is relevant. But it's easy to skip if you're interested and that's what I did about today. So we'll start out with the basics. Uh, when I came to the post office, I was actually going to UNLV to be a high school science teacher. I had my school all picked out. I had done some student teaching, and I was pretty far along the way to my degree. And I just took the job to help make ends meet while I was going through school because I was paying my way through school. Way back in those days, you could actually just pay for school as you went through it. It wasn't like it is today. So that's what I was doing. And a buddy of mine convinced me to take the job at the post office, and I came in as a PTF. And my first year at the post office in 2006, I earned literally double what I would have made my first year as a high school science teacher. And that officially ended the pursuit of my teaching degree. I had always wanted to do something serving the public, and I have a passion for teaching. Hopefully that comes through in the episodes, but it just doesn't pay. And so I gave up on that and wound up being a, um, being a letter carrier full time. So when I started, I was at the strip post office, which does not exist anymore. It was on the Las Vegas strip right behind the Stardust hotel, which also does not exist anymore. And I really liked it before I came to the post office. I worked for a liquor distributor fixing bar equipment. And that was a really cool job. It was a great job to have in my twenties because I was in and out of bars all the time in an official capacity, all up and down the strip. And so I'd get to know bartenders and beverage managers. And that meant that on my nights off, I could go out and go to those bars and get free drinks. And man, that was a good time. But uh, I didn't feel like I was making the world a better place. You know, in a lot of instances, I was helping people destroy themselves with alcohol. And it was fun. And I liked it. But I wanted to do something where I made more of a contribution. And that's what got me in pursuit of my education degree. So once I came to the post office, I felt like, well, I can still do good. I'm helping people. I'm doing a public service here. And again, the pay is a lot better. So what the hell? I'm going to stay as a letter carrier. The guy who convinced me to come to the post office is a buddy I've been friends with since high school. His name's Trevor. And back in the day, uh, this story is alleged. Let's assume that I'm just telling tales out of school and there's no proof that any of this stuff happened. So back in the day, he used to deliver the mail to my house. He was a T6 and one of his routes delivered to where I was living. And on that route, if he got himself ahead of schedule, he would deliver the mail to my community and then he would park his LLV in my garage and he'd come in and we'd play PlayStation for an hour. And as he got really comfortable, maybe he'd have a beer or two. No, surely he didn't do that. I'm probably making that part up. But I saw this happening. And when he said, like, dude, you should come to the post office. It's a really cool gig. Yeah, that does seem like a pretty cool gig. But then shortly after I came on, then we got scanners and, and you know, those things were all things of the past. So that's where I started, down on the strip. It was fun delivering on the strip, going up and down you know, at all the major hotels. Uh, for those of you who've delivered business routes, you know it can be very difficult the first few times you're on a business route because where do these businesses want their mail? They're all different. They all get it in different locations. You never know when you're going to have a huge pickup. And delivering on the strip took that to the max. Like I would deliver to Harrah's Hotel and the first time I go there, like where in the world do I take the mail for Harrah's Hotel? This is a huge resort. 
Well, it turns out that I take the mail to the bell desk. So I'd have to park my mail truck in valet parking and then run in, drop the mail at the bell desk, and then the bellhop would take it from there. And then the next stop was the Venetian Hotel. Where in the hell do you take the mail to the Venetian Hotel? Well, it turns out that they get their mail down underneath the hotel in this loading dock. So I'd have to back into a loading area that was intended for tractor trailers, hop out, take the mail through these double doors and into their mail room. So there was a really steep learning curve, but once I got the hang of it, it was really fun going up and down the strip every day. And the best was when I would get delivered to the malls, like to the forum shops and the fashion show mall. And so they had a mail room, of course, but then if I had parcels, I'd just be pushing my cart through the forum shops, looking at all the tourists and the scenery there was top notch, man. That, those were, it was really nice back then. That was awesome. But usually those kind of routes were reserved to the high seniority carrier. So I found myself delivering in the surrounding areas. And like in any urban center, as soon as you get out of like the resort area, the quality of neighborhood drops dramatically. And I remember the first day that I was out delivering on my own. I started in January, so it got dark really early. And I'm out delivering to these Section 8 apartments. It was all really low income in this really sketchy neighborhood. And I'm a uh, middle-class suburban white kid. I've never been in neighborhoods like this. And I was scared. I was legit nervous. You know, as it gets dark, and I don't really know what I'm doing yet delivering the mail, and I'm having to go into these really sketchy apartment complexes. It's really sketchy to me. And I remember I was walking up to this one apartment complex and they all had like these big walls and gates and, and like barbed wire over the fences and stuff. And there's this gate to get into the apartment complex. And there's a guy leaning against the gate that I have to go through to go deliver the mail. And he's just eyeballing me and it's making me extremely uncomfortable. And I don't know what to do. And as I'm walking up, I make the decision, well, this is my job now. This is what I'm going to have to do. I have to deliver the mail. So I'm just going to try to play it cool. And I come walking up to the gate and the guy's staring at me. And then finally he goes, hey, mailman, you must be new, man. I haven't seen you here before. Come here. Let me show you what our mailboxes are. And he opened the gate for me and he brought me right to the mailbox. And he was super nice. And I'm lucky that that has been my experience almost everywhere. I'm sure it's that way for you guys too, where we really are part of the community. People know we're not the cops. We're not there to bust them or to cause any trouble. You know, we're there to just deliver the mail. And in those cases, you know, back then we still delivered a lot of checks. And so it was kind of eye opening and it was really neat. Like, wow, this is, this is cool. I'm, I'm part of this cultural touchstone that is the post office. So that was nice. Another thing that was really nice when I started at the post office is that in my previous job servicing bar equipment, I could drink all I wanted. And a lot of times when I'd go into these hotels, like I'd go into the Bellagio Hotel, I'd fix something at their bar, and then I'd go downstairs to their employee dining room. And they had this really nice employee dining room that had like, essentially those employee dining rooms are all like leftover buffet food. But if the buffet's really good, the employee dining room's really good. And the employee dining room there was fantastic. And so I could eat all I wanted, like pretty much every day or, or very close to it. And so I did. And I've always been kind of heavy. Even back in seventh grade, I was like 220 pounds in seventh grade. And uh, that has not changed much over the years. So when I stopped working for the liquor distributor and came to the post office, I weighed around 290. When you're that heavy, you don't weigh yourself very often. So it's entirely possible that I hit 300 or very close to it. So I start working at the post office and now I go from this completely sedentary job. to now this highly active job where I'm walking every day. There was a, some parking loop out of that station and just a lot of moving around. And then as a PTF, they're working the hell out of me. I didn't take time to eat and I wound up dropping a ton of weight. In the first six months, I probably lost 40 pounds. And I have kept it off. I now weigh about 220. So I've dropped and kept off around 70 pounds. And obviously still still a bit on the chubby side. Um, but, you know, the post office has been great for that. And then in my spare time, I'm a hiker. And I started with a hiking group right around the same time I started at the post office. And that was really good for me too. So it's nice. Like now that I'm on this park and loop route, 
even if I can't get out on the trail as much as I like, I can still keep fit just by walking on my route. My route right now is about 10 miles of walking. And I know for Park and Loop, that's not huge, but it's still a lot more walking than most people do every day. And I like to weigh down my satchel. It's just a personal preference. And so I get pretty good exercise doing that too. The hiking group that I run is here in Las Vegas. It's on a website called meetup.com. It's where people of common interest can get together and do the thing that they like to do. And meetup is a really good fit for Vegas because Vegas is this transient town. People move in and out. And so there's not this social infrastructure that a lot of other places have. So with our hiking group, it was this perfect fit where when people join our group, they say, yeah, I love hiking, but I don't have friends built in who want to hike with me. And so they join our group. It's called Vegas Hikers, and it's been very successful. We have right now like 27,000 members, and we average over 100 events a month. I've got a bunch of other co-organizers and people who post events. It's all free, and that's been a, a really, really good time. So um, so anyway, so I hike in my spare time. Just this last weekend, I was up at a state park near here called Valley of Fire, and the hiking is just fantastic in Southern Nevada. If you ever find yourself in Southern Nevada or you're looking for advice on place to hike in the area, feel free to send me an email, classesofmail at gmail.com, or you can look up Alan Geekax on social media, and everything is totally public there. So anyway, that's what I do in my spare time. Uh, that's also how I met my wife right about the time that I started at the post office, getting in shape, getting myself out there. And I met uh, the woman who I would eventually marry. So that, that was cool too. And I'm sure it helped dropping a bunch of weight and suddenly being in uh, in decent shape. So that was that. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, so let me tell you a little bit about when I started I was not good at the job. I'm still not that good at the job. But back then, dude, it's in some ways it's a miracle that I made it through probation. So one of the things that I used to do when I first started out that was stupid was I would tell supervisors no. Uh, I was learning from these senior carriers what the rules were, what the contract was, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but I knew that like there's things that carriers aren't supposed to do. Clerks are supposed to do that. So when my supervisor told me, hey, I need you to go stack up these hampers and help distribute the mail, I was, no, I'm not doing that. That's clerk work. I'm not supposed to do that. And my supervisor said, well, when I tell you to do it, you're going to do it. No, that's violating the contract, right? I didn't really understand back then that you have to just say yes and do what they do. And if it's an issue, you file a grievance on the back end. Luckily, at that time, there was a supervisor there named Debbie who was uh, a good mentor for me. And she took the time to explain, hey, buddy, it's not the way it works around here. And um, that was that was really helpful. Another thing that Debbie helped me with was organization. There was a day where I come back to the station and I'm sitting in the truck getting my mail all together to come back inside. And Debbie comes out and knocks on the window of the truck. Hey, Debbie, what's going on? She says, did you know that you've been sitting here in the parking lot for 45 minutes? Uh, no, I didn't know that. She, what the hell are you doing? And it's because all my cleanup for the day was just in buckets or it was spread around the truck. None of it was organized. And so when I got back, I just had this huge mess that I had to take care of. And so she helped me to see how you have to like stay organized throughout the whole day. And, um, you know, that that would help me to be successful as a carrier. And it really did. And that's something that I've carried with me to this day. And now organization is a constant project, a constant process. Everything is in its exact spot, exactly where it needs to be. I also met a guy back then named Tristan and Tristan was an old time carrier back then. And he was the guy who knew all the rules. He knew that M41 backward and forward, and he would do everything exactly by the book. It was like malicious compliance before malicious compliance was a thing. And I wish that I would have listened to him a lot more than I had, because it turned out he was right about everything. You know, he would do... Like he would follow management instructions to the letter, even when they said something stupid and he would just make him pay for it by taking an extra 20 minutes to do the stupid thing that they told him to do. Like I remember when MSPs were new and he would, uh, you know, we scan our MSPs, but then there'd be failures. And so management said, 
you know, you guys really need to make sure you hit those MSPs. I want you to scan each MSP three times. That way you know for sure you hit it. And Tristan had this little notebook and he would write in there, scan MSP three times and who told him to do that and what day. And then when it was like route inspection time and he'd scan every MSP three times and the person following him, why are you scanning it three times? Hey, I'm following management's instructions. And that dude had the shortest easiest route that as a ptf dude it was like almost like having a day off being on his route it was so nice and he would actually bid on routes that he knew were overburdened so that he'd make a little overtime and then he'd get the route cut because again he's doing everything by the book and then once that route got cut then he'd just move on to another route and get that one cut and that dude was a hero i wish i would have fully appreciated it back then but you know, I was young and stupid and thought I knew better, and I was a lot like CCIs are today, you know, where I would skip my lunch. There were times on the route where I would literally run. If I was delivering a deadhead, and I get to the end of that deadhead, and now I've got no mail, and I just need to get back to the truck, I would jog back to the truck. <sighs> Thinking about that now, like, that's that's totally bonkers, but that's the way I would do it, and you know, I would skip my lunch, I would hustle, I would do all the things that I tell CCAs now not to do. And these old timers kept telling me, hey man, you got to slow down. You you know, you're going to burn yourself out. And of course they were right. They were right. It took me 14 years, maybe 15 years to finally get it in my head that if I'm, that there's no such thing as running late. That when I it takes me nine hours to deliver the route. I'm not late by an hour. That's just how long it takes. As long as I'm doing the job the right way and not actively wasting time, that's just how long it takes. But back then, I didn't know that. And so I would hustle and, and run and make missed deliveries. Dude, there was this one time, it's delivering to these townhouses. And they all had door slots. They all had like a little courtyard in their front yard and a door slot. So I go into the courtyard, drop the mail through the slot. Go to the next courtyard, drop the mail through the slot. And they're all right next to each other. So I'm dropping the mail, dropping the mail, dropping the mail. And then I get to this house and the lady opens the front door and she goes, Hey, mailman, do you have any mail for me? And I look at the mail in my hand. I look at the address on her house and I say, No, actually, I don't have any mail for you. I guess no bills today. And she said, That can't be right. I get mail every day. I get a lot of mail every day. And I say, well, I'm a new guy. I guess I'm an innovator. I don't know, but you don't have any mail today. But she does not accept that answer. She winds up calling the station to report that I've obviously misdelivered her mail. And it turns out she was right. Uh, she does get a lot of mail. And once the supervisor talked to me, I remembered getting like this stack of catalogs for the house right in front of hers. Well, what happened was I was just putting the next mail in the next box, not paying attention to the house numbers, and the house right before hers was vacant. So I took all of her mail and put it all through this door slot of this vacant house. And now my supervisor had to call up the homeowners association for that townhouses, find out who owned the house, get in touch with the homeowner, turned out it was a vacation property and they wouldn't be back for who knows how long, but they had cleaners that come by like every two weeks. And so she had to go out there the next time the cleaners came, meet the cleaners to get all that mail to take the walk of shame over to the correct recipient's house, townhouse. And I tell that story in the academy that you know, how much time was I saving by not looking at the house number on every house? And the answer is, I don't know, somewhere between zero and two seconds. But look at how much time it wasted for my boss to have to come out and undo my mistake. And that I think that was Debbie, actually. And I still make mistakes, but I really try to be a lot more diligent about checking house numbers and, and making sure I know what I'm doing. But I have had lots of knock of shame where I put the mail in the wrong mailbox and it's a locking mailbox and I realize oh my god now I have to go up and knock on the door hey I misdelivered your mail and can you please help me get it out and that's the ones I know about right that's the problem with misdeliveries is by their very nature generally you don't know when you make them and so dude who knows how much stuff I messed up 
uh, besides that. Back then we had bundle brake cards, these little plastic cards that would divide chunks of DPS. So like if you had cluster boxes, each cluster box would have this plastic card in with the DPS that would tell you where it started and stopped. So when I was at Strip, I had this route that delivered to MGM headquarters and then Mirage headquarters, and they got tons of mail. They'd get like a whole tray of DPS. So I didn't finger the mail back then. I just saw the card and would deliver up to the card. And I brought the whole tray of letters in to like MGM headquarters. I get to the next stop at Mirage headquarters and I don't have any DPS for them. And I realized it was because the bundle break card was missing and I just delivered MGM's and Mirage's mail to the MGM. So I had to go back and do the walk of shame and go in there. And luckily the mail people there had already caught it and they had the mail just waiting for me. But um, it goes to show you, you don't have to be super bright to make it as a letter carrier. You know, it really just takes like slowing down and paying attention. And uh, eventually I got a little bit better, a little bit better. Uh, back then I made my first postal friend, a guy named Dave, who was really funny and uh, kind of took me under his wing. And that was really cool. In fact, at the union meeting tonight, Dave was sitting, I was sitting next to Dave. And so that's a friendship that has lasted, which is, which is really great. I learned a lot from Dave. Uh, one of the things I learned was what it means to be on the overtime desired list. Because back when I was at PTF, Strip was a small station, and I was the only PTF. And so that meant I was working pretty much all the time. I had a stretch. I was a PTF for like two and a half years. And I had a stretch of about a month and a half where I didn't get any days off at all. I was working seven days a week for a month and a half straight. And it was exhausting. Luckily, I was like 30 years old at the time, had a little more energy than I have now. But dude, that's still, it's a lot. And so the only time I could get some rest is if like all the carriers came in. Well, Dave was on the overtime desired list. And so we had some call-ins that day and we were really short-handed. And my supervisor, it was probably Debbie, was trying to call Dave in to come in for work. And he wasn't answering the phone. And I said, isn't Dave on the overtime desired list? And she said, yes, but that means he desires overtime. So surely he must want to come in. I don't know why he's not answering the phone. Let me call him. And so I called Dave on my cell phone and Hey Dave, he answers the phone and Hey Dave, it's me, Alan. You know, Debbie's been trying to call you to bring you into the station. Hold on a second. I hand the phone over to Debbie and she's like, Hey Dave, we need you to come in today. And Dave said, come on, man, don't take advantage of this dumb PTF like that. And, uh, he did not come in that day. And I learned a valuable lesson that, that just because it says overtime desired doesn't mean that I always desire overtime. And, you know, I'm on the ODL now and, uh, I still very much value my days off when I can get them. So, so learned a little bit about that as well. Back then, I also had one of the best station managers I've ever had. I really got lucky at the beginning of my career. We had this station manager named Al, who had come from northern Nevada, and he was close to retirement. And one of the things that he would do, he was a boss who really made it seem like we were all on the same team, that we all had the same goal, and he was really explicit about it. And when he would get on the morning teleconference, we had this really small station. It was only like 13 routes, and they were all just wrapped around the uh, supervisor's desk. And so when he'd get on the morning teleconference, he would tell us all to be quiet and he'd put it on speaker. And we could hear all the insane things that the local postmaster was saying to the different supervisors and how all the different supervisors would just kiss his ass and Al would roll his eyes and do, can you believe what these people say? This is so crazy. And I mean, it would be things like the day after a holiday and the postmaster would be calling every station, making them commit to zero overtime that day. I mean, it was that insane. And then they'd get to Alan, he'd be like, no, man, that ain't happening. We are definitely using overtime today. I ain't going to lie to you. But then after he'd get off the phone, he'd say to us, okay, look, you heard what the postmaster expects of me. Now, I know that's not realistic, but what can we do to at least make it where I'm not going to get in trouble at the end of the day? And we would pull together and we would say, you know, like, hey, I can give off this part of my route and I can go help over here and stuff like that. And having that cooperative atmosphere 
<laughs> Man, I wish I could have held onto it with both hands because oh, I had no idea how rare that is at the post office. Oh, man, those were the days. So back in those days, I was still still partying, still taking advantage of the uh, connections that I had from fixing bar equipment. And it was really fortunate that I had a job where I was out moving around all the time because I'd stay out until 2 in the morning partying and then come into work. And luckily, it's really hard to fall asleep when you're out like walking and moving around. And then finally, I made career and wound up getting assigned to East Las Vegas on a residual bid. Uh, here, we have a tradition that when you make career, you have to buy donuts for your whole station. And that was really cool at Strip. I only needed to buy a baker's dozen. So uh, so I like that. That whole tradition, I don't know if they have that around the country, if they have that where you are. But to me, it feels so ass-backward that here's this person who's been shit on for the last two years they're making the least money out of everybody in the station and then they have to buy donuts for everybody in the station it should be the opposite everybody should have to give them a gift like oh thank you for letting us suck the life out of you for the last two years but i'm not in charge of traditions so i bought my donuts and and off i went I got this route at east las vegas that nobody wanted that's why it was a residual bid and it was awful with dogs I mean, I was getting attacked regularly out on the route. I got really good at using my satchel, and eventually it was enough of a problem that I got permission from my station manager to carry bear spray out on the route. And that stuff has saved my ass so many times. You know, I love dogs. And I don't want to hurt, I don't want to injure dogs. I get it like when the dog gets out, it's not the dog's fault, it's the owner. It's the owner who's irresponsible, it's the owner who's the jerk. But be that as it may, I ain't interested in getting bit by a dog. You know, as much as I love dogs, I also have a very healthy fear of dogs. And uh, having that route did nothing to help overcome my fear of dogs. And so the bear spray was literally a lifesaver. You know, that will absolutely positively turn back any dog. So if you can get permission for that, by all means, do it, because uh, that really helped me. And the nice thing about it is it doesn't injure the dog. It hurts the dog, and it makes them not want to attack you anymore. But once it wears off, there's no lasting damage. And so that's good. You know, I'd like to bear spray their owners most of the time, but that's not usually an option. So somewhere in there, I went from East to Paradise Valley or from Paradise Valley to East. I honestly don't remember anymore. But when I was at Paradise, I tried my hand to be a union steward. We were in need of a steward and it was like a midterm, you know, the steward must have bid out to another station or something. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. I was still really new to the post office. And I figured that once I got appointed as the steward, that there would be this training that like on a day off, I'd have to go down to the union hall and I'd get all this training on what I'm supposed to do, how to file a grievance, what the contract says, stuff like that. There was absolutely no training whatsoever. So all these carriers are coming up to me like, hey, this is a contract violation. I need you to file a grievance. And I don't even know what a grievance is or how I'm supposed to file it, what the form is, anything like that. And so I was totally incompetent and completely useless as a union steward. I remember the first time I got brought in to sit in on an investigative interview and the station manager actually conducted the interview leaning over his desk, like with his fists on the desk, leaning over the other carrier in an attempt to intimidate the carrier. And he's like, what are you doing out on the round? Like, it was madness. I'm like, oh my God, this is what goes on at the post office? Yeah, sure enough, it was. But I had no ability to stand up for that carrier, except to just say like, dude, this doesn't seem right. But that's not enough. When you're a union steward, you need to actually know what you're doing on some level. And so I wound up resigning from the union, or as a steward, because I had no idea what I was doing. And then I got a T6 swing, that moved me back to East. So it must have been East and then Paradise. and It doesn't matter. Anyway, I got a T6 swing, and that's what I wound up doing for most of the rest of my career. And I like that because when you're new, you have a choice of either having like a really crappy route, or if you're a T6, you get a little bit more money, and at least maybe one or two of your routes will be halfway decent instead of just a crap route every day. 
And then, of course, the best thing about being a T6 is that when a customer comes up to you complaining about some problem that they're having, oh, your regular carrier will be back tomorrow. I'm sure you can take care of it. And that's uh, that's also a nice thing about being a CCA or a PTF when you're not on a regular route is, ah, just brush it off, let the regular carrier handle it when they get back. So that's what I did for a long time. And I would just settled in and, and you know, stayed the course. And then six years ago, somewhere around there, like 2017, I heard about the opportunity to become a classroom instructor. And man, that sounded perfect for me. I love teaching. I'm interested in the material. I was interested in learning more about the job. And so I signed up and I wound up getting accepted. It turns out the acceptance rate, at least around here, is pretty much 100% because nobody wants to do it. And so I got in. I went through the facilitator training course and ready to go, ready to start teaching. And then again, I thought, okay, there's going to be some sort of familiarization, some sort of teaching process so that I know the material when I go to teach it. But no, of course, there's nothing like that. My first day in the Carrier Academy, I was seeing all those slides for the first time, just like all my students were. And so I'm looking at these slides and and just like every bad teacher, I was just reading the slides the classes of mail that can go into, I mean, I was probably reading a little more animated than that because I've always been at least a good reader, but dude, I had no idea what I was doing. And then they'd ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know. And I don't even know where to look for this stuff. So it was rough in the beginning. What I wound up doing a lot is relying on stories. And most of my good stories are dog stories. So I'd spent a lot of time talking about dogs and that's not, it's not most of what they need to learn, you know? So so I had a lot of growing to do uh, when I started teaching, but I was into it. I, I like teaching. I like the material. I like learning about the post office. And so I started studying more. I started learning all these, all these rules and all these procedures. And in my opinion, I became a really good teacher. I really took to it. And so as I'm learning all these rules, I'm seeing the carriers who I carry for, like as a T6, my regular carriers aren't doing their routes by the book. You know, very few carriers really deliver by the book. And it started bothering me. And I would see like, you know, if you just did this properly, this route would actually go smoother. You know, there's a reason that a lot of these procedures are in place. And it, it just bothered me. And so I kept thinking maybe I should just bid off and get my own route so that I can set it up the way I want and, you know, follow the rules and do stuff by the book. And then I had this final incident where um, I had one of my regular carriers who was just this huge complainer. And when I would come off, you know, when he'd come back from his day off, whatever I did on his route the, the day before, he would complain about it. And something was always a problem and he just would always gripe about stuff. And then he would gripe even more if I was like teaching or if I took a day off when I was supposed to carry his route. Like whatever I did that upset him, the thing that upset him most is when I didn't carry his route. And he totally acted like he was my boss. Guys, pro tip, you are not your T6's boss. The T6 is actually a higher level assignment. And if anything, they're your boss. But the reality is you guys are equals. And you, the T6 does not work for you. The T6 works for the post office. And it's not your route anyway. It's the post office's route. So give your T6 a break. I tell my T6, I don't care what happens to my route when I'm gone. You could set the truck on fire. I don't care. Post office have to give me another one. But that's me. All right. So anyway, um, so my wife, uh, in the meantime, I got married. Yay me. And it was still back when I was on that really bad dog route. And leading up to the wedding, I was so nervous that I was going to get attacked by a dog. And I was going to show up for my wedding, you know, all chewed up, like in a bunch of bandages or have a broken leg or something like that. But I wound up uh, getting through it and, and showed up for my wedding and everything was okay. Well, about two years into my wedding, my wife, who was a high school English teacher, got really sick. And she'd always had some kind of lingering illnesses, uh, some chronic illnesses, but it got really bad. And she wound up having to resign from her job as a teacher. And unfortunately, because she was young, she had only been teaching for like five, five and a half years. And here in Nevada, in order to be vested into the state retirement system, you need six years. 
and she wound up having to resign just short of that. So she wasn't eligible for any state benefits, like disability benefits. Instead, she had to go on Social Security disability. But the teaching job was like her first real job, and so she had paid almost nothing into Social Security. So her disability checks are like $500 a month, which helps, but it is nothing like a full-time job. So suddenly, we're on my income only, and trying to maintain a household. So the house that we bought when we first got married, we wound up having to short sell it. It was in the middle of the foreclosure crisis where everybody was short selling. And so we short sold our house and, and wound up living in an apartment for years. And um, to her credit, she is a phenomenal financial planner. And we have been able to get by on just my income plus her small amount of Social Security disability for the last... 16 years, 15 years we've been married. And, uh, you know, I really owe a debt to the post office for giving me this reliable, dependable income that's enough to support a family. We're very fortunate that we were able to buy a house again before housing prices went nuts in Las Vegas. And so we have this really small house, but it's in a good neighborhood. It's enough for the two of us. We don't have any kids. Um, it was always the plan, like within the next two years, we're going to have kids, but then she got sick and there's just no way it could happen. So no kids, it's just us and the dog. And so we, we get by and luckily our mortgage is only like a thousand bucks a month. And, um, you know, if I had to try to buy a house now here in Las Vegas, there's no way we could do it. Um, but again, the post office has given me that stability to have a middle-class life. And I, I really appreciate the post office for that. That's a, that's a very cool thing. Uh, so where did I leave off? Oh yeah. So anyway, with her chronic illness, I had to take FMLA and I would have to take off a lot in order to take care of her. Sometimes she would get so sick that she was literally bedridden. And so I would just have to take care of her. So one day she's really sick and she says, I need you to call in for work today and, you know, help me out. And I was on the complainers route that day. And I'm like, dude, I really don't want to call in today because I don't want to have to deal with that dude giving me grief when I come back to work and I didn't carry his route. And I realized, what what the hell am I doing? I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of my wife. Why am I worried about what this guy is going to say to me? He's not my boss. And I decided, you know, it's not worth dealing with it anymore. I wound up bidding on my own route. And I've had my own route ever since then. And I really make an effort to deliver it by the book, the way it says in the M41. And it has been a revelation. My job has gotten so much easier. And it's not just the carrying that's gotten easier. You know, the first route I had, uh, once I had this new mindset, I was able to get that route cut by 45 minutes because I was doing it by the book every day. I've talked about this on other episodes. And when management came out to follow me, yeah, sure enough, the route really does take that long. He's not doing anything wrong. And so they had to cut the route. And now I just cruise and I make sure I'm doing the job the right way. Management doesn't mess with me because they know there's no point. They know I'm doing things the right way. And it's really nice. The, the regret that I have about it is that it took me 15 freaking years or 13, however long to finally figure it out. And what the hell was I doing the rest of my career? Like, how am I this dumb? But again, it goes to show you don't have to be smart to be a Carrier Academy instructor. You certainly don't have to be smart to have a podcast. And thank God for that. So here I am. So anyway, that's what I've been doing for the last few years. And I really like it. And then teaching... Uh, in the Carrier Academy was taking me away from my route pretty regularly, so I'd get all these breaks, and that was really nice. So about six months ago is when I got fired from the Carrier Academy for having this podcast, and I'm still not able to fully tell this story yet because I'm still not back in the Carrier Academy. My case is now up at the national level, and the director of city delivery, Mr. Jackson, is overseeing my case now and management isn't even making an argument on their side of how my podcast violates social media policy so it looks 
I mean, the whole time it's looked like a slam dunk. Yeah, of course I'm going to get back in the academy. Um, but that is still outstanding. So suddenly I find myself with this this free time and not a lot to do, you know, except for delivering the mail. And my one of the things that I've always wanted for myself at my station is to help my fellow carriers understand the stuff that took me way too long to figure out. There's no reason, you know, when I started, it was it was awful for me, just like it's awful for CCAs now, where they get crapped on, they get taken advantage of, they get abused, and there are a lot of old-time carriers who are like, oh, I got shit on back in the day, and you should get shit on too, and I do not believe that at all. I got shit on back in the day, and I know how awful it is, and I don't want that to happen to you. I want better for you. I know that it sucked, and why would I want it to suck for anybody else? That's insane. So, I wanted to be like this mentor at my station that people could ask their questions and make sure that they're on the same page, you know, so like when I'd see a carrier going up to the door without a satchel, that's a policy here in Vegas. You have to have your satchel every time you go up to the door and I'd see a carrier going up to the door without their satchel and I so badly would want to stop and say, Hey man, what are you doing? You got to have your satchel when you go to the door, but I don't want to come off as like condescending or talking down to them or, um, trying to be their boss or anything like that. And so I would always just let it go because it's not worth it to have those bad feelings. So eventually I was given the opportunity to become an alternate steward at my station. And once I did that, that opened the door for me where I realized like, Oh, now I can take the union angle where I'm doing this. And it's not just an angle. This is the sincere fact that, I want better for these carriers. I want them to know the right things to do so that they never have to go into the supervisor's office and get reprimanded and then have to get defended and all this stuff. If they just know the right way to do it and they know why it should be done that way, then this whole discipline process gets short circuit. And that's the point of my podcast, right? Make yourself discipline proof. And so as an alternate steward, uh, I started giving... Uh, the morning meeting, the stand-up talks in the morning that the management would say, hey, this is what we're looking at today. These are the routes that are down. We do this at my station every single morning. Management talks for two minutes, you know, gives us the safety information, whatever it was. And they were already having me read the safety talks, the mandatory safety talks, because I'm a good reader. And so I just kind of added on to that, like, hey, also, just so you guys know, you have to fill out your 3996s if you're going to go into overtime because going into overtime isn't what's getting people in trouble. It's unauthorized overtime and stuff like that. And it started to take. And people were thanking me like, hey, man, thanks for letting me know about that thing. They're, hey, thanks for letting me know about that new procedure on the scanner. I would have never known that was there because management doesn't tell us anything. And oh, my God, it has been so satisfying to have that happen. I had a day recently where I had a trainee uh, for on-the-job training, and while I'm training this new person, five different carriers came up to me and asked me questions, good questions about like, hey, I have a customer who's on hold, and this piece of mail came in. What should I do with it? And oh my God, I love it. It's so great to be able to help my fellow carriers in that way. And then I started stepping it up and trying to get better conditions for my carriers, for my brothers and sisters at my station. Like at the beginning of summer, um, we had a bunch of carriers go down with heat illness and we had multiple carriers hospitalized with heat illness. And I would wind up having to take care of these people because I have first aid training. I have wilderness first aid training thanks to my hiking experience And so I knew what to do in these situations as a first responder. So I'd keep them, you know, conscious or whatever until the paramedics could arrive. And the supervisor would come up, hey, Alan, we got a carrier go down. Can you go take a look at him? And seeing this, like I had a carrier go down with heat exhaustion and I had to lower her body temperature and there was no ice. I had to go into my own lunchbox and use like frozen water bottles under her armpits to try to cool her down. And meanwhile, every day out on the route, I'm spending like six bucks on bags of ice to put in my cooler and to put in my water jug and stuff like that. And I realized like, dude, why don't we have an ice maker here at this station? And so I made it my mission 
that I'm going to get us an ice maker. So I go to my station manager. Hey, let's, uh, let's see about getting an ice maker in here. And it's just an automatic no. No, we can't do that. Why not? Well, it's not allowed for, and we don't have it in the budget, and so no. And I tried a couple of different angles, and it's always just no, no, no. And so finally, I'm like, you know what? With how much I'm spending every day on ice, and I know all these other carriers are spending on it too, maybe we could just buy our own ice maker. And so I went to the boss with that. Hey, if I buy an ice maker, will you stand in my way in putting it in? And he had to think about it. And a couple of days later, he comes back to me, and he says, no. If you buy an ice maker, I won't stop you. It's all right. That works. So I priced out ice makers, and then I made an announcement to my fellow carriers. I started raising money. I put in the first money myself, and we start raising money for this ice maker. And we get close. I go to the union. Hey, if we get close, will you put in the rest? And the union says, yeah, you just have to put in, like there's a procedure, you know, to get the union to donate money for stuff. So you just have to do that. And then... The donations slow down, and I think, all right, I'm just going to pay the rest of this myself if I have to, but maybe I can go above my boss and kind of shame the postmaster into contributing. So my plan was to give a letter to the postmaster explaining why we should have an ice machine, and as you guys know, it was the carrier in Texas this year who died from the heat and when the post office made statements about it they would say like their PR person would say we provide carriers with training and which they didn't do and we also provide like ice and water and so I wrote this letter to the postmaster and I included where the PR person talked about providing ice and I said look we've already raised this much money all I need is for the post office to match what I've raised and we can get an ice machine in our station and if you won't, you know, what I need most of all is just a yes or no. That that drives me nuts about the post office, that they will do what I call the pocket veto, where you ask for something and they don't have the balls to say no. They just don't say anything and hope that you'll go away. Well, I ain't the kind of person who goes away. So I said, look, I just need like a firm yes or no. Don't just leave me hanging because if you say no, I can go on to other avenues. And my plan was actually go to the local news and say, hey, we're trying to raise money for this, we need this ice, and the post office isn't supporting us, so, you know, I'm called for public's help. And luckily, the postmaster uh, wasn't interested in that happening, and he wound up fully funding the ice machine for our station. So that was a huge victory. And once I got that, then momentum, and make no mistake, it's not like I got the uh, the ice machine. You know, I was the driver for it, but the post office provided the ice machine. And then even with that, it was all my fellow carriers who showed that we were serious by donating their own money. You know, it wasn't just me saying it. It was all of us banding together. And with that under my belt, I'm like, dude, this feels amazing to be able to do these things to help my fellow carriers. And then I was on a mission that, okay, what am I going to do next? What's the next thing we can do to improve conditions around here? And, you know, the really big things, the low-hanging fruit is like, stop shitting on CCAs. They're already have it the hardest out of anybody else, and they make the least amount of money. The least we could do is not be monstrously awful to them. So I made that like my primary mission. I was only an alternate steward. I'm still only an alternate steward. And I'm like, I want to focus on the CCAs. And the other stewards like, yeah, dude, go ahead. So I became their advocate. And during the morning stand-ups, I talk about them, and I talk about other issues. I'm currently like trying to get parcel locker keys for our station because some people have been waiting almost a year for new parcel locker keys, and that is freaking ridiculous. What kind of business runs like that? You know, we have a toilet at my station in the men's room that's been broken for three months. Dude, give me a break. So... Those are the kind of things that I'm doing now, and it's so satisfying. And I've taken this role at my station where I'm the one who fights actively to get the carriers this this better stuff. And honestly, this is the first time in my career that I've even considered 
working past my retirement. Because if I got into a union leadership position where I could do these things on a bigger scale and really help people and help my carriers to get better working conditions, I don't, I feel like I wouldn't want to stop doing that. Like I, I would still want to do that all the time. And I might actually work past my retirement if I get into a position like that. But the first thing is to get elected to a union position because I'm not going to get appointed to it. My union president has already proven that. Uh, I put in, we had a carrier, our main steward moved out of state and her position opened up and I was the heir apparent. She essentially named me the next steward. I put in my application to the union president to be appointed in her place. I was the only applicant and the union president just sat on my application and didn't do anything with it. So after like a month, I'm talking to another alternate steward at our station. I'm like, hey, man, have you heard anything about who's been appointed to the, the steward? And he goes, no, I just assumed that it was you. You're the next person in line. So, yeah, I would have thought that, too. But uh, the union president hasn't done anything about it. And so the other alternate went ahead and put in his application. I mean, of course, who wouldn't? And then the union president was like, oh, look at that. We got two applicants. So I guess we're going to have to vote on it. And then they chose the other guy. So I couldn't even get appointed union steward when I was the only applicant. But as an alternate, it's fine. I'm still doing the things that I want to do. And then the next election I'll run. And I like my chances. And then move up from there. So, uh, so that's where we are. Uh, my plan is to continue doing this podcast. I'm really enjoying it. I like talking to you guys. I love the feedback I've been getting. It is incredibly satisfying to know that there's people out there who are being helped by this. And uh, I understand you guys have not learned a whole lot today. I'm sorry about that. It is, um, that is the nature of this episode. You know, if you skipped it, well, if you're hearing this, then you didn't skip it. So thank you for indulging me in telling my own story. Uh, there will be other story episodes in the future that will be a little more instructive. I'm going to talk a lot about my dog stories. I'm going to talk about mistakes that I made delivering the mail that I was able to learn from. And hopefully you guys can learn from my mistakes. Because rest assured, I have made plenty of mistakes out there. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep making the JCAM podcasts. And I'm going to keep on going over topics that will help make you discipline proof. Obviously that is the goal of the entire podcast and that's what I'm going to keep doing. So thank you guys for listening. It has been a pleasure doing this podcast and uh, now it is time to try to get some rest, get back there and deliver those packages tomorrow. Take care guys. Thanks for listening.